Hey everyone, and welcome to episode two. In this episode, I'm 95, I'm not dead. Join Rob Carrera and me as we discuss the 2014 film, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. If you haven't already, please follow us at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so please follow us there and perhaps leave a rating and a review so that others can find the podcast too. Thank you and enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. Today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Rob Carrera. Tara, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, you know, I'm excited for today's discussion. Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Sure. So I have luckily seen every single Marvel movie. Uh, I became a big fan because my best friend, huge uh, comics guy, and he just brought me to the first movies. And ever since then, I've been hooked. I think they've done a tremendous job with the entire series, with the storylines throughout. And it's funny. Every time I see one, I'm like, that was my favorite one. And then I see the next <laughs> one, I'm like, that's my favorite one. But I am really lucky to talk about this one as a history teacher. You know, me and you, Tara, we talk a lot about this stuff in school. And with my background uh, in ninth and 12th grade history, talking about U.S. government, I'm just really excited to talk about this movie today. Where does Winter Soldier rank for you? It's tough because I definitely really liked it. I think it's an important movie in setting up the understanding for the rest. I'd definitely put it in top five. You you don't you forget there's so many. Definitely top five. I have to be honest. The last two, Endgame, probably my number one, and then Civil War was number two. So I would definitely put this in the top five. So yeah, I agree with you. Uh, for me as well, I think Winter Soldier is definitely top five. Steve Rogers is one of my absolute favorite MCU heroes. And this movie is, is definitely up there for me. And he's um, not bad to look at, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Even I can say that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. And um, the whole cast of supporting actors and, and characters in this movie are part of what make it so special in addition to Steve himself. Um, I love Nick Fury in this movie, Natasha, Sam, of course, Bucky. Mm -hmm. We got a great group. So... Um, some other things I enjoyed, the Smithsonian exhibit scenes. That was really cool, yeah. I think are great. Um, and we'll talk more about that later because I think that plays a really symbolic role. Mm -hmm. I love when Steve and Nat wear the hipster clothes and go to the mall. Yep. That's a good scene. Like one of us, you wouldn't even recognize them, you know? <laughs> exactly, right? Blend right in. <laughs> um, I really appreciate their friendship in the movie. I remember seeing this one in the theater when it came out, and I loved the fact that they didn't... They do some flirtatiousness, but they don't do a contrived mm -hmm. relationship mm -hmm. between Steve and Natasha. And I thought that was really meaningful for for two main reasons. One, I appreciate that they didn't relegate Natasha to, mm -hmm. oh, I'm the love interest of the main hero, that storyline, because she 
is a fully formed hero and she's on her own identity journey throughout Absolutely, yeah. She, these in, movies. In many parts of the movie, she's more of the protagonist than Steve Rogers in some parts because of the role she has to play. And again, the whole identity issue we're going to talk about of trust as well. Yeah. You see it so evenly balanced between her and Steve that, in quite frankly, it's a 50-50 exchange of the trust and identity throughout most of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure we'll talk, we'll talk more about that. And I think also the reason why I think their friendship is important here is because Steve's character at this point, he definitely doesn't need a traditional love interest. He really needs friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, from the very beginning of this movie, he's really in a place of trauma. Um, And I think that the friendships that he forms with her and with Sam are really valuable to his being able to navigate his role in the modern world. Absolutely. Um, So on that note, let's talk a little bit about where in the context of the MCU this movie falls. So this is the second Captain America movie. Steve has already gone through his process of becoming the superhero, which is a concept we talked about in last week's Iron Man episode. Winter Soldier was released as the third movie in Phase 2 of the MCU. Phase 1 had ended with The Avengers, uh, which was the first time that Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye all teamed up. In Phase 2, we're getting stories that are very much dealing with the aftermath of the events of that movie. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, in many of the movies, they refer to the events of the Avengers in shorthand simply as, quote-unquote, New York. Which is meaningful because within the MCU, the invasion of the Chitari took place in New York. And in the real world, the 9-11 attacks took place in New York. And as we saw in our discussion of Iron Man last week, these films are very much situated in the post-9-11 world. Absolutely. And we get that a lot in this movie. In fact, this movie was referred to as Marvel's, quote, most political movie. Um, And it evokes a question that has come up a lot throughout U.S. history. Um, To what extent should liberty be sacrificed in the name of security? So, Rob, as you said, you and I were history teachers, and I know you also teach public affairs. And I think that's really interesting perspective to bring into this movie. So I I just as soon as you asked me to talk about this, I hearken back to even currently with my seniors, but even when I taught middle school, we always do a a unit on do individual freedoms outweigh national security. And the examples we use there are when you're talking about uh, World War II, internment of Japanese Americans, and you know how the United States government terms Japanese Americans for that sake of national security, even when there isn't a lot of evidence to say they're a threat. Even more now than ever in this, as you had said, Tara, so astutely, the post 9-11 world, we're seeing it all the time with more technology. And I think kind of a naivety that people sometimes click on, I accept these cookies or their, Mm. you know, digital uh, presence. It's even mentioned in the movie, kind of the digital footprint that Hydra is able to use to see who will be a threat to them. I think it just is a really important backdrop because what Marvel does so well here is they take the world as it actually is for us and they still use it and apply it to this imaginary world that they're creating as you had kind of uh, mentioned right with the 9-11 attacks kind of uh, aligning with what happened in New York in the previous Avengers it really is just beautiful writing in that way because although this is supposed to be superheroes and imaginative we can see exactly how it should apply in our own world And this question that we're grappling with, right, do individual freedoms outweigh national security? Um, Because, again, we kind of believe that the government is there for our best interest and we place our trust in there. It's kind of a very American value. 
But we have to realize these Republican ideals, right? The idea of an, a Republic of the American government is very, very fragile, right? Mm. And I think you see that with Secretary Pierce, it just takes one guy at the top and then obviously everyone else corrupted within it with Hydra to really kind of make that fabric disappear. So I think that Hydra element is a perfect reflection of this false sense of security that we hope we get by sacrificing those individual freedoms because that trust is supposed to be there. So as you had said, Tara, really this movie is great at kind of pinpointing those fears, anxieties that even as normal citizens, we should have as an educated populace. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you mentioned Hydra and Hydra's infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. And in a way that almost sets it up, right? Like, okay, so there could be a nefarious force or a particular political mm-hmm. faction that wants to undermine what the system is built on, right? Mm-hmm. And you get that with Hydra undermining S.H.I.E.L.D. But what's really interesting is that for Steve Rogers, he... He's challenging the system itself, the system of S.H.I.E.L.D., even before he knows about the infiltration of Hydra. Mm -hmm. And so um, we see that in a couple of key scenes that I want to touch on. After the the mission, at the beginning of the movie, when Steve and Natasha go and confront Batroc on the ship, when Steve gets back, he's really angry with Nick Fury for withholding Absolutely. the information mm-hmm. about Natasha's mission to get the intelligence from the from the ship. And he says something that I think is really interesting. So he, he calls Nick Fury out on lying. And he says, soldiers trust each other. That's what makes it an army, not a bunch of guys running around shooting guns. And we get this sense of who Steve is and and how he views his sense of duty. Okay, so it's clear that Fury and Steve have very different philosophies on whether information or what information needs to be disclosed. And Fury knew that Steve would be uncomfortable with that part of the mission. And so he chose to withhold that information. And he says, nobody spills the secrets because nobody knows them all. And he shares with Steve some of the reasons why his worldview has developed the way that it has and that, you know, loving people doesn't mean trusting them. And for Steve, things are very different. But but you can also see where Fury is, in a way, inspired by Steve a little mm-hmm. bit um, because he decides that he is going to share with him about Project Insight. And then you can see how Steve's concerns about Project Insight then influence Fury to um, to confront Pierce on it. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What are your thoughts on Project Insight and the helicarriers. So I just uh, also harken back really quickly to that moment you talked about Steve and Fury. I think it does have that backdrop of identity crisis, right? Where Mm -hmm. Steve is in his new world and he's really battling with those demons of the past. And I think you said it perfectly where he was very okay with his role in an army for the greater good. You go back to Nazi Germany. It was so clear who the enemy was Mm -hmm. supposed to be and why they were fighting it. And I think in this new normal of intrigue and you know espionage across the world, he just doesn't really understand what he's supposed to do. Right. And in many ways, we've had many years since this movie, but if you think about it, America is kind of in this identity crisis as well. You know, a lot of us go to school and we learn about America in the 21st century, kind of of that sense of American exceptionalism. And that's, I think, what Steve Rogers represents but now he's having that identity crisis. Are we really exceptional? Right. Are we really the best, right? The kind of the demons of, 
institutionalized racism and racial injustice coming back to haunt us. Yeah, you know, I want to touch on that for a minute, this um, connection to America's identity crisis and grappling with some of the some of the more difficult to deal with elements of our history and unfortunately um, that are still part of our present. And you mentioned racial injustices, a long history of racial injustices. And what's interesting is that Steve, we're, we're going to talk about how this movie in a few different places talks about the period in which Steve grew up and fought in this kind of good old days way, which is interesting in and of itself because his generation, the, you know, often referred to quote unquote greatest generation lived through the Great Depression and made all of these sacrifices during World War II. But for Steve, there's the sense of it, despite how hard those times may have been, he wants to get back there. And there's this sense, like you're saying about American exceptionalism, this idea of like, let's get back to a place in which the people of America felt more united and had this common cause, this clear cut enemy of the Nazis. But in that history, sometimes we ignore the fact that it wasn't the good old days for everybody. Um, and I think that that's something that I would have liked to see this movie delve into a little bit better. So what does it mean for Steve as a person who would have grown up during a period of extreme racial segregation, for example? What does it mean for him in this more modern period now to be working with people of color and to have these friendships and relationships with Nick Fury and Sam? I would have liked to see them address um, a part of Steve who, you know, may have always been this person who didn't necessarily connect with the more segregationist um, aspects of the real context in which he would have grown up in. So I would have liked to see some more of that. Um, you know, the creators of Captain America were Jewish and were very much dealing with the reality of anti-Semitism. And we like to imagine that everyone was united and hurrah against the Nazis during the World War II period, but anti-Semitism was alive and well in the United States, just as racism was. And so I think I think what I'm trying to say is I wish that the movie would have touched on that a little bit more and um, talked about what that aspect would have meant for Steve. You could literally use a common example now of what China does with its Uyghur Muslim population, mm -hmm. having constant surveillance essentially needing passports and identification wherever they travel, cameras on every single corner. It's that surveillance. Yeah. And that is exactly what Project Insight was hoping to accomplish. And so some people saying, oh, you know, this this is a crazy example, or is the government doing that? Maybe not necessarily the United States government, but you can look at parallels in our own world right now Absolutely. of what government control means in certain parts of the world. So for some people, that is very scary. And others, they say, well, I prefer the security. And again, it's this constant struggle for us of knowing what's right and what's wrong. And again, that's what Steve is grappling with the entire movie, what's right and what's wrong and not really knowing who to trust to make those correct decisions. Yeah, absolutely. That comes up again and again. And um, it's interesting what you say about the idea that while to a certain extent, right, nobody is comfortable if you phrase it in such a way of like, oh, you're going to be surveilled, you're going to be watched, the government is checking on your, you know, all of all of those things mm -hmm. that Sitwell mentions later, like the, exactly. your bank records, your emails, mm -hmm. your voting patterns, all of those things. Everybody um, kind of bristles against that. And in very many ways, that comes from how we are 
raised here in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. And the values that we do hold to. But what's interesting is that Fury is a character who, despite all that, is very utilitarian. Um, For Fury, the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. So he thinks that um, Project Insight is evidence of, he, he calls it being ahead of the curve. And um, being able to neutralize threats before they happen. So his his intentions are also good in that he doesn't want, you know, he wants to get rid of these threats to people's well-being. But um, again, for him, it doesn't matter what you're sacrificing in order to be able to do that, whereas Steve disagrees, mm-hmm. right? So Steve calls Fury out on it. He tells him, well, I thought the punishment usually came before the crime. Really strong scene there. Yeah, really yeah. strong quote. Absolutely. And he says that you can't hold a gun to everyone on earth and call it protection. It's this. He says, this isn't freedom. This is fear. Again, you know, the movie is called Captain America. So we're rooting for him. And I think that the the assumption is that most viewers agree with that. But we also think about Fury's point of view, because Fury says shield takes the world as it is, not as we'd like it to be. So there's more of that realism, that pragmatism Mm -hmm. coming in, too. And as you spoke to Rob, right, there's this very much can be a debate in our world. Um, it's not necessarily clear cut. Yeah, and really fear using his example of his uh, grandfather, right? Yeah. Who had a job working in an elevator and, you know, putting his money in a bag. And as the neighborhoods got a little rougher, right, he still wanted to be very outgoing, talking to people, saying, hey, how are you? But when... You know, but he was a realist, right? Having that gun for his protection. I think that's just a small example of what Project Insight's supposed to be. And I think you perfectly said it. And that quote, taking the world as it is um, and not how we want it to be really is, you know, a striking conflict within our own kind of world that we're trying to view as well. And what's interesting is later on in the film, Fury is confronted with the fact that kind of that party line that he's been holding to is this is the same or very similar to Hydra's. Um, so that scene in which Steve and Natasha um, find Armin Zola's self. <laughs> kind of one of the first ever AI systems, if you think about yeah. it. Really interesting to think about it from that perspective, like the birth of AI. Yeah, Zola's kind of mind and all of those, uh, you know, trapped, <laughs> trapped mechanisms. It was a really interesting scene. Yeah, it was because he's... He and Hydra's way of viewing things is just Fury's way of viewing things taken to an extreme, Mm -hmm. right? The idea that people can't be trusted with their freedom. The idea that they wanted to go so far as if... So Fury's saying, okay, let's neutralize threats before they really become a threat. Hydra going as far as to say, well, why don't we create chaos Mm -hmm. so that uh, people feel ready to sacrifice some of their freedom in order to gain security? Um, So again, you're seeing a very, very extreme form of the ends justify the means and one that we disagree with as viewers pretty much straight out because we know Zola and Hydra are the bad guys. Um, But it's interesting that it's the same type of thinking just taken further. Absolutely. And there is that moment, I, you know, it happens uh, right when Pierce brings in Captain America to ask him if he knows anything about Fury's supposed death at that point. Yes. And there's an amazing moment where he talks about tearing down the old world to bring in the new. And actually, you know, he's saying almost exactly what Fury is saying, just almost this, you know, different side of the same coin. Right. And we don't know at that moment, but it's Hydra, right? It's, but 
it's funny because you think he's speaking for S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's that thin veil that actually it is Hydra, kind of using the similar, as you had said, Tara, similar reasoning to accomplish a very different goal. Toward the end, when Steve and Natasha and Sam um, mm-hmm. talk with Fury inside the cave, he, Fury is very quick to want to get rid of Hydra. He's not as quick to want to get rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, exactly. And yeah. Steve has to say to him, no, it, it all goes. Mm-hmm. Because how many people had to pay the price before you noticed that mm-hmm. Hydra was doing what it's doing? So we have to dismantle the entire system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is really interesting as well. And it's funny because in that moment, Rogers technically is echoing what Pierce had said. We have to tear down the old structures in order to make way for the new. For him, that's Hydra, Shield, everything. Right, right. right. And it's funny how that's, again, the same reasoning, but it's accomplishing a different means. And it's for a different purpose. And again, we technically want to, as you had said, Tara, want to root for Captain America. He is supposed to be the good guy. But it's so interesting that his reasoning for doing what he is doing is the exact same for what you would argue Pierce and Fury are doing. A lot more conflicted characters, but at the same time, right? Where do you draw the line? Yeah, and I noticed that too. And I also noticed that we also hear that similar line of reasoning from Peggy Carter. Mm. So if yep. we go back to the scene... He visits her after the museum, right? That's right. I had noted that I had noted that too. I think that's a great moment. Uh, I have the quote, if that's okay. Yeah. She says, the world has changed and none of us can go back, right? And again, he is literally, Captain America is literally that representation of the good old days, the greatness mm-hmm. of America. So many people say, oh, I want to go back, you know, you know, to the good old days when this country was great. Well, what made it great and why, you know, there's that realization we can't go back. I think Peggy perfectly represents in that instance that dilemma. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, she's so important for his identity journey, too, because as we said before, he's trying to navigate what does it mean for me? What is my purpose in a world that has changed? Mm -hmm. And so and he says to her, for as long as I can remember, I just wanted to do what was right. I guess I'm not quite sure what that is anymore. And that as well kind of evokes this idea of back in the quote unquote good old days, as you said, things were more clear cut. Mm -hmm. The enemy was clearly identified. Everyone in the United States agreed on the common enemy of the Nazis, or at least that's how we remember it now, right? How history tends to remember it. So for Steve, he has to kind of realize, well, that time period is gone and he needs to adjust. And in that way, I think, yes, he, he's a representation of old fashioned American values, but he also in this movie is a representation of, well, what does it mean to adjust those values to a changing context? Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not sure what's right anymore, but he's going to find that making the right decision is in line with the values he had all along. And an example of a place where we see him relying on his the sense of self that he's had all along is toward the very end when he gets on the mic at the World Security Council and he says, the price of freedom is high, it always has been, and it's a price I'm willing to pay And if I'm the only one, then so be it. But I'm willing to bet that I'm not. And we can see so clearly there, he has, despite his struggles in in this film and his struggles since the Avengers films, he is really owning who he is. And he 
is kind of reclaiming what his role in the world is again. And you also see a little bit of that reclaiming the quote unquote old Captain America identity because he goes back to that museum and steals the uniform. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that a lot. So one of the things that I'm wondering about in this movie, this is the second Captain America movie. He's become Captain America. He has become a symbol. We see how much of a symbol he's become in that museum exhibit. They actually name him as a quote unquote symbol to the nation a hero to the world. Um, The voiceover there says the story of Captain America is one of honor, bravery, sacrifice. And this scene early on um, clearly is there for metatextual reasons in a way of catching up the viewers on what happened in in the last movie. Just in case you forgot who he is. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But what do you make of his decision as a character to visit the museum because that's how we see it. He mm-hmm. he comes in dressed in his street clothes and his sunglasses and he's visiting the museum. And what do you make of that? Like, why would he choose to visit that exhibit? Yeah, I think it really shows that above all, he did what he did for life, for country, not for himself. And there's that humbleness about it where, frankly, if that were me, I would have been going in with the suit on. I would have been signing autographs. <laughs> there you I would have been right? kissing yeah. babies, you know. But it's, again, that understanding that he did what he did, not for himself, but that was a sacrifice for the nation. And having to now live in a time where he's honored as a hero, there is that kind of question, is the identity between Steve Rogers as who he is and Captain America different? Uh, Frankly, no, there isn't a difference because he's always going to be held to that Captain America values, right? There's even a scene where... He's on the run and you don't, you know, the uh, viewers technically don't know it yet, but Pierce has the Hydra elements trying to track him down. Right. And some agents in S.H.I.E.L.D. say, if we're going to go after the Cap, we deserve to know why. Mm -hmm. Not Steve Rogers, the Cap, right? So that sense of he is our hero and he's willing to do anything for us is really inseparable, in my honest opinion, between who Steve Rogers is only because society will continue to put that on him, right? No matter what he ends up doing with his life. And I think there is kind of that understanding that that's the way the life is. And maybe that's why he doesn't want to be recognized, right? He wants that sense of privacy of saying, hey, I am this great person, this great American, but I'm still trying to figure out who I am, Steve, as a person, not Captain America. Um, And funny enough, Bucky does the exact same thing. Different reasons, of course, because he's a fugitive and he's not supposed to exist. But it's kind of interesting that you see Bucky having to do the exact same thing at the end. And it's almost ironic that he is going through the exact same struggle. Yeah. Who is he, right? Who did he represent before? What does he represent now? For him, it's that amnesia, right? He can't remember. But it's technically the exact same struggle that Steve was going through at the beginning of the movie. That's a really interesting observation. And I love that his first spoken line is, who the hell is Bucky? Because he's kind of speaking Mm -hmm. to the question that he has and that we have as viewers. Like, who is Bucky really? And of course, we get a flashback to mini Steve before he was injected with the super soldier Mm -hmm. serum. And we can see how loyal of a friend Bucky was. We can see how close they were. Um, And really, as you said, they are so connected in um, there's this beautiful opportunity there. They have gone through the same thing. They are two men out of time 
Unlike Peggy Carter, who has grown old and has seen the world change. And despite the fact that, you know, she's um, toward the end of her life and she's struggling with her memory, she's experienced all of that for Steve and for Bucky they are completely thrown into this new world without having had that experience of watching it change and grow. So there's a really interesting relationship between those two characters. And, um, you know, it's also, it's also very lovely too, right? Because, um, so Sam, the Falcon says to Steve toward the end, um, whoever he used to be, the guy he is now I don't think he's the kind you save, right? Mm-hmm. So he's sort of saying, like, you have to forget who this person was because we have to go based on who we see in front of us. And the fact is he's been compromised. He's been brainwashed. But for Steve, it's not that simple, mm-hmm. right? He Steve wants to save everybody. And for Steve, he can't let go. He can't just take the person at face value for what they are right now he he's looking at their entire identity which is funny because he makes the distinction not to save shield right. even though it has its flaws of hydra right True. if you look at what shield is supposed to do and represent it is a great system right it's protecting the homeland protecting people and freedoms and there was that you know the infiltration by hydra he's willing mm-hmm. to throw that away True. but he's not willing to throw away his connection with obviously bucky right so it's interesting that he's making that distinction because of maybe the history or the struggle that they've been, both right. been through, his own personal story. Again, I think it's one of the last, like as you said, Peggy being you know so late on in her life, he feels like he's losing her and maybe needs to salvage something from his old life through Bucky, right. no matter the cost. Yet he's still trying to throw away something else that's even bigger than him or Bucky, right? Shield. So it's so interesting that he's able to make that distinction on technically a very similar issue. You're right. That's a very interesting observation, right? Both Bucky and Shield have been infiltrated. And on one, he's so clear that it's got to go. And I wonder, is that a place where is Bucky an example of a weakness that Cap Mm -hmm. has, right? Mm -hmm. Because he can't let go of that friendship and that personal connection. And is that one place where he's not being consistent with the identity that we know him to have? Right. Or... Is that him being consistent with his identity? Because we know more than anything, he's loyal. And he's more loyal to people and individuals than he is to institutions and structures. So it's interesting. You kind of can see both sides of that. Um, Why don't we talk for a couple of moments about Sam, just because I just mentioned Sam. Mm -hmm. So we don't get a ton of character development for Sam here because he is Mm -hmm. a supporting player. But I do think he's interesting. I think that he... um, it's very clear that he, like Steve and why they become close, is that he also is experiencing this trauma of once I am no longer fulfilling my traditional role in the world, in his case, he was a soldier f- fighting for the U.S. Army in a more modern context. Once I'm no longer doing that, who am I? What makes me happy? And he's trying to figure out what his role is. And mm-hmm. so he's helping other soldiers who have PTSD but you can also see too that he doesn't want to let go exactly. of that sense of duty and honor, mm-hmm. and so he's very. He says, um, "Captain America needs my help. There's no better reason to get back in." And um, you can see that loyalty that he has to Steve. Speaking of the other characters in the cast, what about Natasha, Rob? What are your thoughts on her character here? You said earlier that she plays such an important role, also with regard to this concept of identity. So, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on her? You know, it's funny because getting 
the opportunity to rewatch this movie, I realized I really took for granted her role. Because again, maybe it's my naivety of just, you're going in to see Captain America, what is his struggle? But just rewatching it, this is like now the fifth time I've seen the movie because I love all of them. With this lens of identity, I started to say, wow, you know, Natasha really is a character that sneaks up on you throughout the series. And you can see here, she's dealing with her demons because there's a moment at the end of the movie where she's releasing all of the information on S.H.I.E.L.D., including how Hydra has penetrated it. And Pierce has that moment of, you know, your secrets are going to be leaked too. Mm -hmm. And we understand that that is a huge issue because she was a secret spy for Russia, trained to, you know, basically be the opposite of Captain America, pretty much a Bucky Barnes for, you know, Russian intelligence, but then switches sides to serve America because of the protection Nick Fury offers her and how she literally still has those scars, right? She talks about getting shot by the Winter Soldier during one mission and, you know, not being able to wear bikinis in a funny moment. But again, she's still grappling with what does her role mean, perhaps outside of S.H.I.E.L.D., right, with Nick Fury again, supposedly dead at that part she's really grappling with not knowing what to do anymore right what's right or wrong can she trust captain america someone she's gone into battle with and fought with timeless you know time and again so i really think it's an interesting lens to look at her kind of really maturity as a character yeah and again i i do want to you know agree with what you had said earlier i do love that they don't push that romantic element on us That, again, they have just a really strong friendship that they're trying to cultivate. It's not a relationship just for the sake of it. Right. And that, again, allows us to see who do these two characters exist outside of just working for S.H.I.E.L.D. rather than, okay, they're a couple now. Who are they together? So I think that was a very important distinction that was made in the writing. And, again, we kind of appreciate Natasha's story even more. And from this point on, it does continue to develop rapidly across the Marvel Universe. Absolutely. And I think we're making a point of that too, because it's something that we've grown used to as viewers sometimes, having that forced relationship when you have two, as as we said before, very mm-hmm. attractive leading people who <laughs> exactly. have chemistry together, because let's face it, Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson would probably have That's chemistry right. with anybody, <laughs> and they do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's an entire element of people who quote-unquote ship uh, Steve Rogers with Bucky. And yep. again, there's there's chemistry with all of these people. You can definitely read into it. And I'm sure there are people who can read into the flirtatiousness between Steve and Natasha. Um, but I do think it's an, I do think it's important that they don't go that direction. Um, I think that that scene in the car when they're leaving the mall, um, they have a really interesting conversation that speaks to some of the things that you're talking about, Rob, in terms of her own sense of herself. Um, she she says the truth is a matter of circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's not all things to all people at all times. Neither am I. And I think that, you know, we're getting a sense of how she sees of how she sees herself and that her role is really to kind of be this chameleon. She even says to him, who do you want me to be? Um, right. And he says, you know, to be a friend. And I think, you know, she's used to adapting in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think the decision she makes at the end of this movie, as you said, really, really shows a moment of realization for her character and a decision that she's making that really sheds some light on who she is. Right. And plus, not to mention, if you think about it, she, and this is similar to Captain Rogers, she's been told what to do her entire life. You think about mm-hmm. it as a Soviet spy, she was you know brainwashed, told what to do. Now with Fury, she knows that her safety 
is basically being an agent for S.H.I.E.L.D. So without that protection and literal shielding from Fury, she could be in trouble. But this is one of the first times that she is just doing what she thinks is right. She's not being told to go with Captain Rogers. She's not being told to do that. She thinks it's the right thing to do. And again, I think her character becomes richer because she goes through that experience. Absolutely. And like him, she is able to have that moment where she says, I'm willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. my own reputation and, you know, who knows, maybe have to go to jail or whatever it may be so that I can do what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie also has some really funny bits. Absolutely. And um, I love from the very beginning the scene um, when you have uh, Steve and Sam running and with On Your Left and yep. that ongoing <laughs> bit. And that pays off later in Endgame, which mm-hmm. I love. And in that scene, we have um, the list. Steve Rogers list um, that everybody's been telling yep. him, oh, you know, it's it's really funny to zoom in on the list. And I actually read that in different countries, they changed the list to be reflective. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Of, yeah. Of, of different That's pop funny. culture yeah. in those countries, um, which is cool mm-hmm. for, for viewers. Um, so I had a question for you that I didn't plan. <laughs> but if you were going to add something to Steve Rogers list, what oh, would it man. be? Oh, man, that's a great question. So it's funny because you realize he has 50 years of history, right? And it's so funny you mentioned that I literally paused it on that list and like the Berlin Wall is on there, but it says up and down, which is funny, right? (laughs) And so you think of all these pop culture moments. um, It's so funny. Like, what do you prioritize in that moment? Are you someone that wants to read about it? Do you Mm want to, you know, hear? Do you want to like listen to music or maybe a podcast right like this (laughs) right do you you know want to talk to people about it right like other veterans and just get their perspective each more valuable than the last do you go to a museum right i mean i would put watch the office on there that's one of my favorite shows but (laughs) more realistically and again uh, maybe i'm biased as a history teacher i would literally just go on there visit a library maybe the library of congress ask for a tour because in that way you're going to get someone trying to explain to you This is from an historical standpoint, maybe some of the biggest things that have ever happened since you were asleep. Right, Steve? Right? This is really the breakdown. Just maybe read these pages and see what you think of it. But then again, I would really think in that moment, I would, he goes to Peggy, maybe there's no one else, but just go to other veterans and confide in them. Ask, you know, what was this like? What was your experience? Because I think that's where you're going to get the most similar values that Steve has, right, as a veteran, as a soldier, that what he had. And I think there's going to be that comfortability there of not being judged to say, I don't understand or I don't know. Again, if that was just me on in that exact position, that might be something I would do. Um, But again, the the answers are endless. And I'll flip it back to you. Have you (laughs) thought about it? Have you thought about what would be on your list? A little notebook? (laughs) I think... um yeah, I, I think that my uh, my version of Watch the Office w- would be to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, but I think I, I think Steve and Buffy would get along. I think I, I do. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think also in terms of cultural moments, like I mean, of course, there's so much there's so much history. Um, but I think maybe, oh man, maybe I'd I'd want Steve to like uh, I don't know, I, like. It's such hip-hop, a tough question. Hip hop yes. music mm-hmm. and like '60s counterculture, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, poor, poor Steve would have to learn about the Vietnam War, Korea, Vietnam War. You yeah. know, it's just 
again, you think about, and this is really true of the entire American country, there's so much history in such a short amount of time, it's so hard to parcel through it, yes. and we're only talking about him missing 50 years, so even for him to catch up, it, it seems impossible. Before we wrap up, do you have any other thoughts? Is there anything yeah. that we kind of missed that you wanted to make sure we touched on? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I really appreciate all the, the points that you brought up that we were able to, as you know, colleagues, but also as friends and fans of the Marvel Universe, be able to discuss um, the parallels. Again, for me, seeing how I could even talk about this in classes, yeah, that conflict of national security and individual freedoms, right? And even looking at how that applies today, obviously, right? You know, we have current presidents who abuse power, but you even look at someone like Obama, who is so well-loved, so well-respected, actually used the Alien and Sedition Acts uh, to silence journalists more than anyone, yeah. including all of the presidents combined before him. So you kind of look at that as, is that a huge blight on his name? Why did he do that? There's also the struggle of Captain America thinking, what is his role? It's out there to fight wars. Well, we've been in like the longest conflict in the Middle East, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Technically, without being on war, we call this a war on terror, but we haven't technically, Congress hasn't approved it, right? That's and right. You talk about that conflict even at home, right? Of Do we want to continue to do this? Do we want to bring those troops home? It just, it really does, again, parallel Marvel doing a great job of putting themselves in the actuality of our lives, but sprinkling in this superhero element really is great writing, but it gives us a lot to think about in terms of where we are as a country today. I couldn't agree more. I think that's what makes it so interesting. Well, thank you so much, Terry. You did a fantastic job, you know. Thank and you. And by the way, if you got to this point of the podcast and haven't seen the movie yet, I don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but go see them. Go get, you know, go see all of them because you'd be doing yourself a favor. That's right. Um, Rob, thank you so much for being here today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tara. It was really my and, pleasure. And um, as we move into a season two of this podcast in the fall. Bring me back, please. I would love to be here. I would love to have you back. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia. You can check out their debut EP, etc. Volume 1 on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and join me next time for I've Come to Bargain, an analysis of Doctor Strange.